Well, welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're really, really um, glad that you're here with us this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. We are honored that you would choose to spend Sunday morning worshiping with us. Um, I'll apologize again like I did last week for my cough. Uh, it's still with me, so if I have to cough several times, I apologize ahead of time. Um, I feel bad about that. But um, I just want to mention that since this video uh, was filmed, um, Casey and Lauren have had um, their little girl Harper, and things are good. Uh, everyone's healthy, and so uh, we want to praise the Lord for that. And I also want to thank um, Drew Bernard and Aaron Bumgarner again on their work on the video. They're doing all the videos in this series. They're doing a great job, so I want to recognize them as well. You can check out last week's video if you were not here on the website on the, under the tab, uh, A Missional Move, on our website. Um, the video um, is on there. So last week, <coughs> we started a, um, a four-week series that we're calling A Missional Move because it really corresponds with us uh, moving out of this facility into a new facility beginning in January um, of, this, of this coming year and uh, where we for sure we'll spend the next 10 years of our existence, but potentially even up to 20 years of our existence. And we, with this, we also kicked off our fundraising initiative where we need to raise $500,000 to be able to get into this facility. We went over a lot of background last week. We don't have time to get into all the details uh, this week, so I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon um, if you're curious on background, how we got to this point, all of those things. But I want to turn your attention to, to this little handout. It should be in all of your seats, I believe. This has um, the majority of the details on it. All the important details are on here. And so I encourage you, if you did not take one of these home last week, take one home. All the details are on here, stuff that I will not be able to get to today. Um, in this sermon, but if you have any questions, you could come up and ask me anytime. Um, and as the next two weeks unfold in this series, we're going to be giving you more and more details. Um, those will come up as well. Um, like I said last week, those of you who are here who are not followers of Jesus, who are guests, I know you're coming in and we're kind of talking about uh, money and giving and these kinds of things. And so I just want to recognize that, but I also want you to, to hang with me um, and to, um, I, I would pray that you would Pay attention and not drift off and let your attention wander because um, if you're a human being, you're affected by money. Like you probably deal with money every day. You need money for food. Uh, many of you are paying for school or are training at least to get a job to get paid. Um, so all those things cost. So money affects us all. And, and here at Province, we believe that God created everything. And so it would make sense that we would teach on what, what does God have to say about money. And if the creator of the universe has something to say about money, we feel like it is important that we talk about it. And so I just would pray over the next 30 or 35 minutes you would hang with me and, and stay with me if, you, if this is your first few times here or if you're um, an unbeliever. And I want to also mention college students before I get into this. Um, I, sometimes I think we do you guys a disservice because we just kind of, you know, the, the saying like, oh, college students... Uh, money, let's just, you know, they don't have any money or whatever. And we're just these, you know, these poor college students. Well, um, I, I want you to stay with us because I, you pay for your food. You, some of you have jobs. Um, you're probably, some of you are paying from, for school in some way. And so I want you to stay with me and not tune me out. Well, I want, you're a part of this family and we want you to wrestle with the same things we're going to be wrestling with um, as the rest of us are going to be wrestling with today. So last week, we specifically looked at what the Bible has to say about generosity. 
And we're going to narrow our focus today to talk about what the Bible has to say about finances. Okay, and there's a lot of confusion when we start talking about the Bible and finances and, and what does it teach about money. Questions come up like, should we as believers expect to be rich? Should it be an expectation for us to be rich? Should we strive to be poor? Should we strive to try to be the poorest as possible as followers of Jesus? How should churches handle money? All those kinds of questions and many, many more, I think, start to come up in our minds when we start talking about money and the Bible and, and, and what does God have to say about that and, how, and what do churches have to say about money and how are churches supposed to use money and all of those things. We're going to start in Leviticus 27 in the Old Testament and kind of work our way forward. This is where we get the, the, the word tithe is going to come up in this passage. So I'm going to start reading here. The, the, the scriptures will be up on my left and my right. <coughs> it says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. In Deuteronomy, a couple of books over in the Old Testament, chapter 14 says this, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always." There are many other passages that address this, this idea of tithe, but these are really good, succinct passages when it comes to talking about tithe. And tithe literally means a tenth or a tenth part. So when you see the word tithe, just think tenth or tenth part. Um, at the beginning of the harvest, a, a person would take, um, would, would, would take their, their, their stuff, their livestock, their grain, their crops, and 10% of it immediately was going to be given to God. Okay? And this is the command. This is part of the Jewish law. This would have been very common, very, the, the, the Jewish people would have been very aware of this command. And it actually caused the Jewish person to have faith, to have faith, because they didn't really know at the beginning of the year what the harvest would have in store for them, or how many um, new uh, babies would be born to their livestock, or whatever that they were producing. They had no idea what the, what the year had before them. So there was some, to do this at the beginning of that season, there was some faith involved in um, and trusting that God would provide, even though they were giving the first fruits, which is a, a word the scripture uses, the first fruits to God. There was some risk involved there. But the reward was that God was going to build their trust, build their faith. He was going to form them spiritually, form them more into his image through the process of tithing. And we actually tend to think of tithe as 10% because that's what it means, but Typically, if you look at the tithes in the Old Testament, there was more than just one per thing or per year. There were many tithes. And so most Old Testament <coughs> scholars who really dig into this and look at this think that probably it ended up being between 20 and 25 percent of the, the Jewish people gave their whatever it was to God. So it's probably more than, 20, than 10 percent that we tend to think about when we think of tithe once you add all the different tithes up. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus mentions tithe. He kind of commends it. He actually says that, you know, tithing is a good thing um, in, in these contexts that he mentions it in, in, the, in the Gospels. Uh, but he never commands it. Never commands it. He mentions it, but he doesn't command it. Um, 
And instead of talking in percentages, he tends to talk in terms of stewardship and sacrifice. Stewardship and sacrifice and not a, a strict 10%. And this is what he was getting at in, in the story we mentioned last week of the widow. This widow comes in the temple and, and, and the more wealthier people are giving their money in the temple. This widow uh, comes up and she gives two coins and, and it's, it's all that she had. And Jesus ends up saying that this, this woman gave more than all the rest. And really, numerically, she didn't give more than the rest, just if you would add it up. So Jesus must be measuring um, success or um, giving in, in a different um, currency than we would measure it. And he is. It's that stewardship and sacrifice. She gave all of it. So she ended up, in his terminology, giving more than the people who are maybe giving uh, 10% or 20% or, or whatever it is. So it's clear that Jesus is, is valuing something more than the tithe. But what does it mean for us? Like, is the tithe binding on us? Should we adhere to this 10% or 20% or, or, or whatever it is? And we'll circle back uh, at the end and really tie that up and answer that. But I want to look at more at Jesus and what he had to say about stewardship. Okay, he had somewhere between 15 and 20 parables or stories on stewardship, whether it was money or possessions, um, all those types of things. But one of the more um, popular ones is Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is the parable of the talents. And talent here is, is a, um, <coughs> a measure of money in this scenario, but it's really a broader application. He's really saying everything that God has is, is, is given you. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew 25, 14 through 30. says, for it will be for it, and that it, there's the kingdom of God. Okay, he's just referred to it in the previous verses, but for it, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will say you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will say you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who, who has, will, more will be given, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Okay, so here's a parable. It's clear what Jesus is talking about here, okay? He, 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 he kind of tees it up. He goes into this parable to make a point. So who are the different players in this parable, the characters? Let's look at that. The owner. The owner in this parable represents God, represents God. 
God creates and owns everything. Okay, that's the point of the story, but that is also obviously the truth. There's nothing in the Bible that says God has turned his ownership over to humans. It's always in terms of stewardship. God never gives anything over in, in, in terms of what he owns. He owns everything. He always owns everything. And he lets humans, humanity, steward certain things. Okay? And the stewards in this passage, the servants, are us, humans. Okay? And, a, and, a, and a steward here is just someone entrusted to another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. Okay? The owner gives it to the stewards. The stewards are now managing what is the owners. And stewards own nothing. Okay? And so the first question this forces us to ask ourselves, do we live in such a way that we see everything as his? God owns everything. He creates it and he owns it. And are we taking what he has given us and developing and investing it for his purposes? It's one of the clear things I think Jesus wants us to ask ourselves and reflect on in this parable. And the third kind of character or element here are the talents. And it, the, the, when you think of talents and, and, and um, everything God has given us as individuals, I think the three T's is a good way to remember it. It's time, your talents or your skills, and your treasure or your money. <laughs> okay, these are the three elements typically when um, God is talking about our stuff or what he's given human beings. And this, this parable is clear. There will be a day in the future where we will answer for how we've stewarded what God's given us. Okay, this, the, 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 the owner returns, okay? And that returning, again, if God is, is, is the, the owner here, he's returning in the parable. One day he will return to earth and um, see how we've done with the stuff he's given us, okay? Now, I want to be clear, this doesn't involve necessarily our salvation. This isn't salvation by stewardship, okay? And Jesus wasn't commending the, the one with the 10 and the one with the five based off of how many they got. He commended them. He praised them based off of what they did with what he gave them. Okay, the one with 10 didn't get praised more than the one with five. They were both praised because they took what God had given them, given them and, 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 and saw that not as theirs, but as God's. And they wanted to make more of that for God. There are a lot of reasons why the man with one didn't invest, and that's not really the point of today, and we can go into that some other time. But the point is that God expected him to steward that one talent well, and he didn't. And that's obvious from the parable. And I think the way that Jesus ends the parable here and how he, con he connects our, our giving, our stewardship, really close with salvation. Again, it's not salvation by stewardship, believe salvation by grace alone. But he connects our giving, our stewardship, really close with salvation. He connects them close together. And say it another way, how and where you spend your money is one of the best reflections of a person's heart. It, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6 as well as in Luke. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we were following a person's treasure, if we were observing a person and seeing how they spent the stuff they were given we would be able to trace back where their heart is, what's important to them, what they value, what they deem as worthy, what they deem as their treasure. This is humanity here. So what are we to do with this? What are we to do as, 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 as humans 
we hear this, what are we to do with this? How should we view our money in light of what we're seeing in the scriptures and how God views the things he's given us? And we've seen the, primarily that the tithe is it's an Old Testament idea. However, the Old Testament is equally inspired by God as the New Testament is. So we can't just dismiss it. Oh, this is the Old Testament. We can forget about it. But we're no longer under the law, and this was a law, so we're not binding to that law. However, I think it is still a good principle to recognize. This idea of a 10% or 20% or whatever that percent, that fixed percentage is. But whenever Jesus and the other New Testament writers speak about money, speak about possessions, it seems it goes far beyond 10%. That this is what this parable is teaching us. Everything is God's. We look at all of our stuff and we say, all of this is God's. It's not 10% God's and the rest is mine. It's all God's. We step back and we ask the question, how much should we keep to live on? How much do we need to live on? And the rest goes towards God's kingdom. I think that's that's the mindset that we should have as we approach finances. Um, it's not, I'm going to, I have all this money. I'm going to kind of give God his cut. I'm going to give God 10%. It's rather having a mindset that God has given us everything we have. Some of you may say, well, I've worked hard for my money. I worked hard. God didn't just hand me all my money. I worked hard. Well, I would say, where did you get the ability to work hard? Who gave you that work ethic? who gave you the opportunity, those of you who were born in this country where we have a lot of opportunities to succeed in these ways, who decided that you were to be born in this country? Not you. It was God. Who who allowed you to be born in the family you were born into and have the experiences, maybe an education that you had that set you on a pathway to be successful and maybe make the money you make? It wasn't you. It was God's. God has given us everything, not just our money, our ability to work, our time, our talent, who we are. He knit us together in his mother's womb. We are who we are because God has wired us that way. And we can imagine if we're married and we set up this prenuptial agreement that one party is going to have their money, the other party is going to have their money, and they're never going to overlap. Okay? What's mine is mine. It's not yours. I mean, that doesn't sound like an intimate relationship. That's not two people coming together and being one. Same in business. Think of a business deal. If you have someone who wanted to front you money to, to, to help you start something, you have an idea, they fronted you a, a large sum of money, and they say, you can keep 50% of everything you make. That's a great deal. If you didn't have to put any money in, and they're giving you 50% of all the profits, like, we take that deal, I and mean, we take, if even, if, even if they took 70 80%, if we got to keep 20% or 30% of all the profits and we didn't put anything into that, most of us would sign up for that deal, for sure. And so and imagine this scenario if we take the investor's money and we treat it as ours, and we say, you know, I, I'm not going to give any of it back, or if I do give anything back, I'm, it's going to be very little. I'm going to give very little back we would just say from, a, from just a business standpoint and just, just an everyday life, this seems kind of unethical. Worst, it's stealing. At best, it's just not generous at all. 
to treat someone who's given you this money and an agreement up front and take it and, and kind of do whatever, is, whatever we want to it with, uh, with whatever we desire. So I think God has given us a clear picture on how we should view our money. But the Bible, as it always does, doesn't just give us the how. Okay, here's how God views something. or Here's God, how God wants us to treat something. Um, he also gives us the how. Well, how are we to be this kind of people? That sounds really difficult. How are we going to be these, this kind of person who sees all of our life as God's and be so generous with all of our, our stuff and our money and our time that we can just be open-handed? How are we going to do this? Where do we get the power to be able to be these kinds of people? And the Bible gives us this answer. In, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, chapters 8 and 9, we find probably the best passage of, uh, of teaching on, on finances in all of the Bible. We don't have time to go through all of it, but I encourage you, if you want to do more study and reading, sometime this week, go and read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, kind of get an idea of the context and what is going on there. We're going to read a few of these verses today. Um, in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says this. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He's teaching them about money here. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God is also very concerned about your heart, your motives. Why are you giving? Okay, Because again, we're not under the law anymore. So this needs to come from a heart that's been changed. The law says 10% of, of, of this or that. Okay, that's what it said in the Old Testament. <clears throat> but now all of it's God's. And, and we, and we want to be generous givers. We want to be give, givers... Um, not under compulsion, but givers that come uh, from a generous heart. So God's desire is not just for us to be givers, but cheerful givers. If we go back up, so that's kind of the end of that passage on teaching. If we go back up to the beginning, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, I want to give some context for why he says that at the end. He tells them, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the, state, of the saints. So this is a, a, a poor church in Macedonia. It's probably Philippi, okay? So the, the, the Philippians that Paul also wrote a letter to. So this church was a poor church, uh, just monetarily, um, they were suffering um, persecution. They were under like physical affliction too. And yet he's, he's showing the core of the church. He's saying, hey, see this church over here? See this church? Like this is what they're doing for the saints. This is how they're giving to the kingdom. He's using them as the model to help teach the church at Corinth how to be generous givers. He's trying to encourage them, to motivate them. <laughs> he's basically saying when a, hurt, when a person's heart is, captiva- is captivated by the love and grace that they've been shown in Jesus, they become generous givers. Okay? And, and, and when, when that happens, the things that are close to God's heart become close to our heart, which is his mission. That his glory may be made known in the earth. And so this church in Philippi says, absolutely, we'll give to this cause because their hearts were close to God's heart for this. And he wants the, the, the church in Corinth to have this same heart. He's encouraging them. He's exhorting them to have this heart. And it also says that not only did they give, they were excited to give. 
says they were, they, he says they were begging to take part in this, in this giving. They saw this need in this other church and they were begging to take part of it. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Again, giving, connecting it back to grace. That as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that you, your love also is genuine. So he's telling to prove your love that is genuine by, by being generous people. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. <clears throat> so he goes back to the gospel here. He's trying to motivate them to be generous people. He says, remember Jesus. He was rich. And then he became poor. So that those who are poor in spirit, all human beings, poor spiritually separated from God, helpless, so that poor people spiritually might become rich spiritually. That we might be reconciled to God. That we might be adopted into God's family. That we might receive an inheritance one day in the future in the new heavens and the new earth. We talked about last week. We've become rich spiritually through the person and work of Jesus. And because we're rich spiritually now, we can be open-handed with our stuff, with our money. We can, be, we, can, we can become poor physically, in a sense, because we are so rich um, spiritually. So Paul's wanting us to see Jesus as our model in this, and he's, and he's, and he's wanting us to show us that the power in giving and being a generous person comes from the gospel. He's our model, and we receive the power from the Holy Spirit to become a generous person with all of our stuff. So he's encouraging the Corinth church. He's, he's encouraging us as well, Providence Road Church. He's saying, come on, guys. I know, I, can, I know you can be more generous. Look at this church in Philippi. I know you can be more generous. Why? Not under compulsion. Not because it's, you're under this law, but because it's an act of grace. You've been shown much grace. This should make us cheerful givers. This should make us open-handed with everything God has given us. So we connect the idea that, yes, we're stewards, that God, God has given us everything and expects us to steward this well. That's a hard task. That's a hard, hard task. How are we going to be able to do that? Remember Jesus. Remember his work. Remember that what's going to happen in the future when we receive, when we receive an inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. So the first reason why we give is the person and work of Jesus. The grace that we've been shown, the gospel. Okay, that's the first reason why we give. The second reason why we give is that God would get glory. That God would get glory. So Jesus is first, God, God's glory is second. Like if somebody was just to observe your life and just really focus in on kind of what you give and especially your finances, they, should, and they don't even know what you believe in. Imagine if, if they were to see you setting aside this money, not spending it on yourself and giving it Keep giving it away to something. <clears throat> Maybe they don't know what you're giving it to, but they know, wow, this thing that you're giving it to must be worth something. It must be great. It must be glorious. The fact that you're sacrificing to give to this. So when we sacrifice our own needs and we give, we actually magnify who God is. We make God more treasurable 
when we give away our treasure to support what's nearest and dearest to his heart, which is his glory, which is that people would know him, that cities would be changed, churches would be planted, all those kinds of things. So Jesus, number one, glorifying God, number two. Third thing is it's good for us. It's good for us. Two sociologists um, published this book a couple years ago called The Paradox of Generosity, Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson. They uh, were a part of this study and took a lot of their data from this study that was done. And not necessarily a Christian study or religious study. The, the, the researchers of this study just wanted to know, um, like, what, what was the effect of giving on someone's life? What was the effect of giving on someone's life? And, and how did this, after, after that, how, how did this in, uh, impact their giving? And so they did this study and they found two paradoxes, which is why they called the book The Paradox of Generosity. They said the first paradox of generosity is that it's actually good for those who practice it. And again, these are non-religious people too. But they're, they're, whatever their measurement was for, for the good life, and there was a lot of different things, those things were higher in people that gave and they could track giving. Okay? And so giving is good for us. And this isn't necessarily, obviously we believe that from the scripture, but this is just like a humanity thing. There's something that giving does, does inside of us that's good for us. The second paradox they found, though, is that, but despite these benefits, relatively few people are especially generous in, in, in the way they were measuring this. They said through their measurements, they found that people, even though there was a lot of benefit attached to it, people weren't that generous. And from, a, from more of a biblical standpoint, one way it benefits us is our faith. <coughs> like when we, faith is like, like a muscle. A muscle has to be overloaded for a muscle to grow and get stronger. Those of you who, who do any kind of working out know that. You have to push that muscle, and that muscle will get bigger and stronger and grow. It's the same thing with our faith in, in, in whatever area it is. We have to learn to have faith in certain areas, and over time, our faith will increase and get stronger and grow. This is part of the maturity of the Christian life, to grow up in our faith. So giving is good for us. That's, that's, a, that's a secular position, at least from this research as well. The last thing, uh, number four reason why we should give, it's, giving is good for God's mission. God's given us a mission, and it's good for it. Okay? For the majority of, of God's mission to take place, so we see it in Acts, and it's present today, that God's mission requires money. It requires finances to get a lot of God's mission done, and to set us up for God to use churches and use ministries and, and all those things, okay? We're going to talk a lot more about that next week as we get into the practicals of, of uh, the building and, and how this, um, how, how Providence Road um, <coughs> is going to function moving forward. A lot of those things are going to come next week. So why um, Jesus glorifies God, it's good for us, and it's good for God's mission, okay? So I want to kind of start to land the plane here by asking, well, what does this look like for us moving forward? Okay? I think if you take all of the teaching of the Bible together, I think the, the tithe, that 10% number that a lot of us have heard, I think is the floor for giving. Okay? It's the floor. One author described the tithe as training wheels to help us get on the path of giving. And then we can begin after that to develop skills, habits, and a mindset of a generous giver. Okay? So the, the tithe is a good principle. It's a good place to start, especially if you're new to the faith or don't have a lot of experience in giving. I think that the 10% thing is a good principle. It's a good principle to shoot for. It's a good goal to have. Um, 
But I don't think we're under the law anymore. So this, this, this tithing isn't, isn't a, a law over us anymore. And so we shouldn't, but we shouldn't use that as an excuse not to give. Like, okay, that's Old Testament law. That's not binding on me anymore. It, like this one author said, it's training wheels. It's where we should shoot for to begin with. It's a good principle, but not the law. So here's a pathway that I want to give you to, I think, help us. There are kind of three steps here, and this, I think this is helpful. Um, I think the first step, and, and, and maybe some of you are here, is that as you view money, <coughs> it's all mine. It's all mine, and at the end of the day, if I have anything left over, then I'll give it to God, or I'll give it away. Okay, I think that's, that's maybe a place a lot of us are starting. And there, that, that could be for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you've never heard biblical teaching on finances. Maybe some of you have just never been taught how to budget. And at the end, there's just not a lot there because as you look at your bank account, there's just nothing there. Maybe it's a budgeting issue. Maybe some of you are in a lot of debt. And so you, your, your debt is keeping you from, from doing this, kind of from, from, from kind of being, you're, you're strapped and you're enslaved to that debt. There could be a lot of other reasons as well. So some of you are here. <coughs> the second step that I think, those in, in, in kind of that step one need to work towards is, um, is, is look, at, look at that 10% number or 15% or 20%. Find a number. Um, and, and again, tithe means 10%. So I think 10% is a good place to start um, and, and shoot for that and shoot for that. Again, that isn't a, a, the end goal of Christian maturity, though. 10%, that's something that we get there and then we, we grow and we learn and we begin asking, well, what does it look like beyond 10%? And then that's the third step. The third, the third mindset, it's all God's. All I have is God's. And the question we always ask ourselves to kind of govern our dealing with finances is, how much should I keep? What do I really need to live on? It's kind of like uh, we have this treasure chest and sometimes we like kind of take out the 10% and lock the treasure chest and God doesn't have access to that. And we kind of take our 10% to God. The third step here in this pathway would be to open the treasure chest and bring it before God and being open-handed and saying, it's all yours. Now, how much should I keep? How, how should I handle my money? What are all the things that I need to take care of in my life? And that just change, that flips the mindset from 10% is God's, the rest is mine to starting with it's all God's. Now let's pray. Let's talk about other, to other people in community. Let's get advice and wisdom on how we can better handle our money. And so kind of ending this here, I know this, was a, you know, this is a, a heavy message. And I know a message like this can, uh, you know, the Bible can bring conviction. And I hope that I, nothing I said brought conviction. This was the scripture that brought conviction this morning if you're feeling conviction. But I don't want you to, to just sit in your in your shame and your guilt because you're not giving what the Bible requires. So I want to give you and offer you some, I think, very practical steps leaving here um, to how we can handle this. I know the conversation that usually happens between Nicole and I when we talk about giving more, we look at our finances and we say, I wish we could give more. And we just look at our finances. We're like, we can't. We don't have anything anymore to give. Now, the we don't have any more to give is not really the right answer. The answer really is, we don't have any more to give without hurting us, without us sacrificing. If we gave more than we're giving now, it will cost us. That's really the question. That's really what we're saying. We're saying, when I look at all my stuff, there's some places that we're going to have to really wrestle with. 
and different individual things we're spending our money on. We're having these conversations right now as it relates to, to this giving initiative. What can we get rid of? What, can we, what do we really need to live on? Okay, and I want all of us to wrestle with that and ask those hard questions, okay? And so again, it's, it's, it's stewardship and sacrifice. That's what I think the New Testament is asking of us. We had a conversation in our missional community this week. That was an interesting conversation because we were talking and we were all kind of in agreement. We were saying that <coughs> when we don't have a lot of money and we're living just really tight and we're just taking care of bare necessities, it seems like it's easier to give because there's just not a lot of things competing for uh, what's God's. And we're already in the mindset of living kind of frugally. And so we just kind of, yeah, this is, this is God's part and we're going to try to make do with this part. But once we start getting more income and as we usually get older, we tend to maybe acquire more, um, more of a paycheck. And then the decisions get harder. We all agreed with this because we have a little bit of disposable income now. So kind of needs turns into wants. What do I want to spend this money on? And that's where the prayer comes in. That's where these really hard conversations come in. I thought that was really insightful. I didn't really ever think about it that way, but I think that's what's going to happen. Um, so here's two questions. Where am I at now, currently, and what would be the next steps? That's the reflection part of this. What would be the next steps? If you're here and you desire to give more, but maybe you need some help. Maybe you're one of the ones that I talked about it with the budgeting thing. You're just not good at it. Nobody ever taught you how to keep a good budget. Maybe you're in a crazy amount of debt and you're just enslaved to your debt. And you just can't, you can't see any kind of way you'll ever be able to give. Um, <clears throat> maybe there's other things too that are keeping you from giving. If, if those practical things that, 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 that um, maybe are, are plaguing you, um, we want to help you. Because here's the deal. If it's not just preventing you from giving, more than likely if you're, not budging well and you're in debt, you're, you're, you're uh, sacrificing freedom and joy in probably other areas of your life as well. Because money has that effect on us. Money's hard when we're enslaved to it and whatever that looks like for you. And so there are plenty of people in this church who I have a lot of confidence in who are very good and are very wise when it comes to finances. You can think of five or ten right now off the top of my head. And if you're a person that's struggling, that just needs like a mentor, I just want a conversation, or I just need some tools to help me figure this thing out, please let us know. Afterwards, please come and ask me and tell me and say, hey, I need some help. I want someone just to sit down and have lunch with and just pick their brain about how this works. We will connect you with one of these people in the church who are very good at managing finances. Okay, You can either come talk to me. We also um, we have an email. <coughs> it's finance. Um, at provroad.org, uh, finances, I should say, it's finances at provroad.org. And so email, um, if, you, if you want to email, email and just put, obviously we'll have your information, but maybe put briefly, hey, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I need some help. We're a family and we all need help in this. None of us have arrived and we're brilliant and we're perfect. It, like we're all, it's all gods and we don't ever struggle with that call to stewardship. No, we all struggle with this. We all need help in some way. So let's act like a family and have these conversations and being okay talking about this stuff and helping one another get to a place where we can be more generous givers. So don't be silent here. Don't, don't be ashamed if you're struggling in this area. You ask for, you ask for help with, with parenting. You ask for help with marriage. You ask for help with how to read the Bible. We ask for help with um, how to 
exercise better or how to eat right, we'll ask for help in all these areas. I want us to also ask for help in finances. It's okay to not be okay when it comes to finances. So let's help each other get there. But you have to take that first step and, and let somebody know that you need some help. And we want to help you and pastor you well in those areas. Um, this is hard. Money reveals our idolatry maybe more than anything else. Money's like the breadcrumbs. If you follow the breadcrumbs, you're probably going to get to something that's deep within us. Baggage, idolatry, wounds, whatever it is. And when, we, when, when I start, we start to push on these buttons and we start to read scripture that talks about this, we can become cynical or angry or dismissive and just not want to deal with this stuff. But I encourage you, this is a time that God's inviting you in to, to, to reflecting and to processing and to being honest with yourself and honest with others about how um, you view finances. Um, college students, I'm going to say something to you before we close. Um, if you don't practice generosity now, when you don't have a lot of money, then you prob- there's chances are you're not going to practice it well once you do have the capability to give. Our church is almost 50% college students. This is why I want to I talk to you guys about this, okay? Don't, don't just dismiss this and say, I can't give, okay? You buy coffee, you buy food, you go to movies, you have entertainment. You have some sort of budget for living. I would just be honest with, with your budget and asking, well, where can I be more generous? Where can I give? Okay, I don't want to, we, we, we want to, you're a part of the family too, and we want to encourage you guys and help you guys start making um, these decisions now before you actually you know, have a, a full-time job and have more of a career-oriented um, um, direction in life. And so when we, start, when we go into communion here in, in a few minutes, I want us to just to, to be aware that, um, that greed is very dangerous, and I think greed blinds us and makes asking these questions of ourselves really hard. So just know that as you're asking yourself these questions and you're wrestling with <coughs> the gospel and grace and money and finances, that... Don't let greed get the best of you in this moment. Okay, let's pray. (coughs) Father, we thank you that, once again, that you have plenty of teaching on a topic that can be very difficult, can be um, very close to our hearts. We, um, again, I thank you that I don't have to get up here and come up with some five steps to viewing our finances better, that we can go to the scriptures and really look clearly at what you have to say about finances. And I love that how your scriptures connected back to Jesus. If we just look at Jesus and we see that he was infinitely rich and through the incarnation, he became poor, became a man so that we who are spiritually poor might become rich through his grace, through your grace and your mercy through faith. So whenever the, the Satan or our flesh kind of rises up in us when we're thinking about this topic, I pray that we would re- remember your grace found in the gospel. That we were once poor, now we are rich spiritually so we can be open-handed with the things you've given us in this life. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we move into communion. Jesus took bread shortly before he would go to the cross and said, this bread represents my body broken for you. And he took a cup. He said, this cup represents my blood that would be shed for you, covering 
past, present, and future sins. It says, do this often, do this consistently, do this regularly so that you remember my grace, you remember what I've done for you, you remember the gospel. I think, especially as what we've talked about today, it's so important for us to remember God's grace in the gospel. If you're feeling guilty or shameful for what you've seen in the scripture today, I pray that you would spend some time now maybe confessing. But when you come up to take communion, if you're a follower of Jesus, that shame and that guilt should be gone. Because even a lack of generosity is covered by Jesus. And as we remember his grace, we remember his mercy, we're able to now live out being generous people, leaving this place. So I pray you would just reflect on the gospel, maybe reflect on your levels of generosity, Maybe ask, what, does, what role does money play in my life and how deep does it go for, for some of us? Maybe that's a question you need to ask. But again, when you come to take communion, I want you to leave that behind and trust in God's grace and his mercy when you take communion. Now, some of you in here are maybe not followers of Jesus. You don't have faith. You don't have belief. You haven't... Um, um, chosen to follow him with your life, made him Lord of your life. If that's not you in here, we would invite you to, to come forward and take communion. We want, you, we want this to be a, a, you've heard what Jesus done, has done for you. Died for sinners. All of us in this room once were. Died for sinners to reconcile them to God through faith and belief. So if, if that's you and you want to profess faith and you want if you think you have belief in God stirring in your heart, come take communion for the first time maybe. But please tell someone, please tell someone what's going on and what you're processing. Come talk to me. <clears throat> if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you still need some time to process and you're still thinking about this and um, you're not wanting to make kind of any decisions today, that's okay. This is a safe place. It's a safe place to come and wrestle. Especially with Topics like money and finances. I encourage you, you, you come talk to me. Let's go wrestle with this idea together over lunch or over coffee. I'd love to do that with you. But if that's you, I would encourage you just to stay seated. This is something that uh, people who are followers of Jesus do. So take a few minutes. And we have two stations in the front, one in the back. Take a few minutes and then um, either come forward or go to the back whenever you're ready.